from runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 331, Active Directory and Server 2012 R2, with guest Brian Desmond. Recorded Monday, August 26, 2013. Run As Radio is produced each week by Pwop Productions, providing professional media and podcasting services online at pwop.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell, and thanks for listening to Run As Radio. With me today is Brian Desmond, and Brian is a solutions architect at a company called Agile, where he focuses on delivering Active Directory and identity management projects for large commercial enterprise customers. And since 2003, Brian has been recognized as an MVP for Active Directory for his contributions to the Microsoft technical communities at large. He is the author of Active Directory 5th Edition, published by O'Reilly, as well as a frequent contributor to leading industry publications. And you can often find Brian speaking at conferences and events worldwide. He has a blog at www.briandesmond.com. Welcome, sir. Thank you. Glad to be here. Five editions of Active Directory. It just speaks to the age of this thing. I remember standing it up with Windows 2000 server way back when. Yeah, it's certainly it's come a long ways, but some of those fundamentals that you know date back to Windows 2000 are exactly the same today, and are some of the key things that uh, companies depend on to run their networks. Yes, number one being keep your clocks in sync because Kerberos gets grumpy. That's absolutely correct. <laughs> uh, and we've got another version coming out sometime in the fall, actually, in form in the form of 2012 R2. Are you excited about it? Anything new in it that you really care about? Yeah, definitely excited. There's some uh, some really interesting things that are coming, and it's really uh, the majority of it's more on the Active Directory Federation services side rather than the the classic you know, domain services as it's come to be called. You mm-hmm. know, the Active Directory that we've known for well over a decade now. Yeah, I mean, this is a mature product. I, I mean, no other way to describe it, really. So is it all about just getting to the cloud with ADFS? Certainly a lot of uh, a lot of what's coming is about getting to the cloud, and it's also about this phenomenon around bring your own device, as, as Microsoft's calling it, as the analysts are calling it, where people are coming to work with their phones, their iPads, their Androids, you name it. And while it's a device they own, they want to be able to do work on the couch with it. But at the same time, the company wants to make sure that their sensitive data is on, under control, but still have that boundary line between my device and the company's data. Now, I don't think about Active Directory and external devices in any other relationship than can it join the domain? And with an iPad, the answer is no. Or is it? Ah, so with the 2012 R2 wave, the answer is going to be yes to a certain degree. There's a new uh, a new feature called Workplace Join that's going to be available on your iPad, iPhone, as well as your uh, Windows RT devices like your Surface mm-hmm. that will actually enable you via ADFS to join a device to the domain and then get uh, get certain benefits that you're used to on your traditional laptop or desktop computer. Wow. Okay. The, and it really is just, it's actually a domain join. So is there some group policy that can be applied? Like how far does this go? Yeah. So it creates an object in Active Directory actually called a device object. So it's not exactly like a uh, like a computer per se, where we apply group policy and all uh, all that stuff. But it does allow you to get single sign-on across the device, as well as provide kind of an authentication path for uh, 
for some of your corporate apps that are on there. Okay. And it also lights up some of the, the device management scenarios with Windows Intune. So are you pushing some software onto the iPad to make this work? Uh, it actually uses, iPad has this concept of a, uh, a these device profiles, I guess you'd call them. I don't know exactly what the, the correct term for them is, but it it's a set of configuration settings as well as a client certificate that gets pushed onto the iPad when you go to a, uh, a corporate website that allows you to do that workplace join. Okay. And so it, once you've gone through that ritual, you're now on the network, and it's actually going to propagate your, your credentials to any of the internal apps or websites that you're using. Yeah, potentially. So no more repeated signing again, signing again every time you hit a resource in the network. Right. Okay, well, that's a pretty big deal. Is this a lot of software? Is this, you know, just part of uh, R2? You won't really notice it, or does it take some setup to get it up and working in the first place? It's certainly going to take some setup. Really, the key piece is getting ADFS deployed, um, Active Directory Federation services, because mm-hmm. that's where the both the authentication proxies through, as well as the what's called the device registration service that handles um, the, the workplace join kind of semantics under the covers. And then there's also a new role in ADFS called Web Application Proxy, which some folks might recognize as a you know perhaps a rebirth or a reincarnation of part of the forefront threat management gateway product that Microsoft retired. And it enables you to publish web applications and let them depend on the authentication services that ADFS provides and via workplace join and so forth. I always think of ADFS as something outward facing, you know, in the DMZ, uh, looking out into the world. But do I want to expose it in my internal network so that these iPads wandering around in my Wi-Fi space are able to do this? Yeah, so that's a, it's a good point. And traditionally, I would say most enterprise customers actually have ADFS deployed both internally on the corporate network as well as externally facing potentially in a DMZ, a, a perimeter network. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is that you know both you've got users internally that need to access external applications via federated authentication. And also some customers, they make strategic decisions that all their applications are going to start using federated authentication as their standard for authentication. So, of course, when you're on the corporate network, you need to uh, you need to be able to access those applications. Now that that's an interesting thought policy wise that I want everybody to speak to authentication the same way, and the universal way is now ADFS, not AD directly. Yeah, and it's definitely it's a trend that's you know starting to come up, especially as we look at all these cloud hosted applications where we have to use a federated authentication model. Right. Why do we need to use a different authentication model for our applications that we're building internally? Yeah, I'm just thinking about if I'm still running Exchange internally, is there a way for me to force it to ADFS rather than just speaking to AD directly? Yeah, so Exchange is probably not a great example there because it really wants to go to AD directly. Yeah, and it's very chatty, too. Anything that slows that conversation down would be bad. Right. Yeah, okay, but that's fair. That You know, different products, different ways. If there's a way to get it to ADFS, it's probably in your best interest. Yeah, especially and there's a new... uh New feature coming in ADFS 2012 R2 that's really cool is the seamless ability to do multi-factor authentication. So really, you know, a new trend perhaps when you've gone to your Facebook, your Google account, or even your Microsoft uh, Live ID, um, you know, you can register your cell phone number and you really have to plug in a one-time code from a text message before right. you can access something. And with ADFS and 2012 R2, that's going to be seamlessly integrated so that we can do that either with smart cards or with uh, what's called... Active Directory Active Authentication is an Azure service product Microsoft bought called Phone Factor that allows you to uh, to use your 
your pre-registered cell phone, for example, mm-hmm. or your office phone, just another phone number, as part of that authentication path when you're accessing an application from outside the network, for example. Wow. Okay. So now um, a new iPad arrives in the office. We want to get him onto the uh, onto the domain with this this workplace authentication strategy. And you're going to do two factor on him as well. He's going to provide his credentials for AD for his normal domain account, and then respond to give a, provide a code uh, from a text message. Yeah, it, it makes for a really slick demo. And I wish I I don't have it set up in front of me, or I could kind of do it so people uh, could hear it on the on the show here, but essentially you plug in your username and password just like you would for any other application, and you've pre-registered your cell phone number somehow with the the corporate network, mm-hmm. and actually the iPad or the Surface, whatever you're on, will say, you know, please hold, we're, we're calling you, and your phone will ring right that instant. You'll <laughs> plug in your PIN that you've set, you know, just like your ATM PIN, that's right. your factor of authentication for the phone, and then as soon as you plug that in, the device will respond and it'll continue through the wizard. Wow. It's really, it's completely real time and it makes for an, it's an awesome demo. It's a little spooky too. It's got an NSA layer spooky. to it. Yeah. But on the other hand, you know, and I, I first experienced this playing with, uh, well, the latest versions of Facebook and Google authentication when I went through a big password change, uh, showed exactly that kind of behavior. The two factor is kind of normal now. So the fact that we could introduce this to our own apps, but, do you have to actually plug it into each website, or is this something about the overall authentication strategy? It's something with the overall authentication strategy. You can do it if it's an application that does federated authentication, so it goes through ADFS. Right. On a per-application basis, we can now define an authentication policy. Wow. We can say that these applications require two factors. These require one. And we could even say a third set. These only require two factors when you're outside the corporate network. Oh, okay, because I guess that's the other part of this is I've got an iPad. Uh, I want to use it in the field as well as uh, inside of the office. Do I have to initially do the authentication inside the office, or can I get the whole thing set up remotely? No, you can set the whole thing up remotely, and you can you can configure that workplace join policy to require two factors at the point that you do the join. Right, because you're outside. Yeah, that's really interesting because it just sort of opens the door. And I keep focusing on the iPad, but I got to imagine this works for pretty much anything. Like, what are the requirements on the device? You know, I don't know the precise requirements, but it does require, on the iOS side, I believe it's an iPad 2 or newer. Mm-hmm. And then whatever the equivalent of the iPhone is that runs uh, that minimum level of iOS, I don't, I, I don't have it in front of me offhand. Okay. And then it also works on the Windows RT devices. Uh, I don't believe it's available for Android right now. For any flavor of Android. Okay. That's a, that's a limiting factor. There's a lot of them floating around, although not, you know, not as much on the tablet space as it is on the phone space. That's for the workplace join feature specifically. There's, a, there's nothing limiting you from on an Android tablet going to an, a website that requires two factors right. and plugging it in. Okay. But it's not necessarily workplace join. You're not going to get single sign on. You know, those are the sort of exactly. problems. So, and, and I appreciate that. In, a, in the frustrating world, and I don't know any IT guy who's thrilled about this, of this bring-your-own-device environment, all we're trying to do is degrees of smoothness. It's never going to be as perfect as the device we provide, but how smooth can we make it? Yeah, and especially with the device market is iterating so rapidly, and certainly more rapidly than you know Microsoft or really any vendor could to support no. all those devices that are out there. Yeah, good luck, right? And, but it would be nice to get these authentication bits into some flavor of Android so that, you know, future devices just supported it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and really interesting that iOS has already done that. Because the, the usual starting point I find with most organizations when you're dealing with bring your own devices is when the CTO shows up with an iPad. 
Yeah, absolutely. Some executive brings his iPad, and so far the corporate policy has been that we don't support this, but right. someone high enough up the uh, the chain of command says you will support this. Yeah. So I, I, I'm going to be using this, just make it work. Exactly. But irrespective of the bring-your-own-device, I just like two-factor authentication or multi-factor authentication, the fact that we can make it routine for uh, all of our devices, that they're really well-authenticated and re-authenticated well. Yeah, for sure. It adds a, it adds a great layer. And you think about it, you know, companies that require smart cards, you know, I have one of my customers, I have to carry about this smart card around everywhere I go, because if I need to access something, I need it. Mm-hmm. There's one more thing I need to carry around versus I'm always going to have my cell phone with me. So why can't I use that? Yeah. And th- this really delivers on that. Well, and it, yeah, I've always been in awe of the Microsoft's enforcement of the smart card requirement for their own employees, because there's so few organizations where that's worked all that well. It's it's hard. It's expensive. They they get lost. They they break. Yeah, they are expensive, and yeah, they I've I've had to get mine reissued a couple times. It breaks. It whatever's happened to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I like we're already <laughs> we're already taking very good care of this small digital device that we're carrying with us all the time. That should be enough. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, there's a uh, there's an app. For, I believe Windows Phone, iOS, and I believe Android as well, if you didn't want to actually get the phone call, mm-hmm. you can enroll this uh, Phone Factor app with any number of uh, companies that are using it, and you can actually authenticate through the app as well. So rather than actually getting a call, it's just you pop up this app and it shows you this is your authentication request. Right. And Microsoft now owns this? They, they bought it? Microsoft now owns this company, and if uh, you go look up Windows Azure Active Authentication, I believe is what they're calling it now. Mm-hmm been renamed a few times. You can actually license it and integrate it into any application too as a developer. Which is a great idea. Right? Just bring that to the table. Cloud yeah, is in it's everything. It's now called Windows Azure Multi-Factor Authentication. So they've renamed it a few times. <laughs> Just to make it challenging for us. Yeah, it's not their strength as product names, that's for sure. Uh, th- that's a great feature coming in R2. Uh, is there other pieces of uh, the next version of Active Directory you like? Yeah, that's that's really it. Is the is this federated authentication workplace join? And there's there's a number of uh, you know kind of under the covers features that enable this, but these are really the the big ones. Um, I would say from an Active Directory domain services that traditional AD, the the major investments are really were in the 2012 wave that came out you know beforehand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it felt like we took a big step forward in 2012. But uh, it had been a while. We were due for some some more changes. Yeah, absolutely. And there's there's some really cool stuff in there. And you know, especially at the rate that many many companies deploy new versions of Windows, it's still something that's really worth discussing. Yeah, I guess the question number one is: Do you have to have 2012 Active Directory servers all around to actually elevate to that level? Uh, what do you mean by elevate to that level? Well, you you know, you Active Directory, you always have to upgrade it to the next ver you have to to upgrade the feature set sure what am i talking about here yes you're probably thinking of the functional levels or the native modes functional Um, levels and one of the really cool things that happened with almost every one of the new ad features in windows server 2012 was that microsoft realized that the adoption curve for companies to deploy these features is really high because it takes so long to get to that new functional level right they did an incredible amount of work to make sure that by and large, all these features can be used when you have your very first Windows 2012 domain controller deployed. So as long as you have one, that's enough. 
that's enough. Obviously, you're probably going to want at least two because you wouldn't want the features to only work when you're not patching or something like that. But fundamentally, you don't have to upgrade everything right. in order to get there. And that and that's the important part, right? Is that there's always one hanging around. Although I ran into an incident recently where there was one Orphan 2003 server still out there, and it was holding back a functional upgrade. Yep. You know, we talk about virtual machine propagation, Active Directory server propagation. Like folks keep making them and finding them yeah, around. Yeah, certainly some, especially enterprise customers that made architectural decisions to really deploy Active Directory all the way out to the edges. There can just be hundreds, if not thousands, of domain controllers out there, and it makes you know upgrade projects, migration projects, really a, a big deal. Yeah, kind of frightening too. And how do you feel about virtualization in Active Directory? You know, it's uh, it's one of those topics that uh, folks kind of love to debate, and you know, maybe it's one that often belongs more over at beer than a you know in a conference room, just because it can be so philosophical. Yeah. Uh, but one of the major investments Microsoft made for Active Directory and Windows Server 2012 was making sure that it ran safely and exactly the same on a virtualized platform as it does on a physical hardware platform. Mm-hmm. And you know, prior to that, there were there were especially the the big adage was always never take snapshots of your domain controllers, never roll them back. Yeah. You can break replication and introduce all manner of inconsistencies into your domain or forest. Yes. But Microsoft partnered with their, the Active Directory team partnered with the Hyper-V team during the Windows Server 2012 wave to develop a mechanism for the hypervisor, whether it's Hyper-V, VMware, or I believe Citrix now, to notify the, the guest that what it's called a generational change has happened. So something like a snapshot's been rolled back and that enables Active Directory to respond to that and invoke a number of safety features to ensure that it doesn't affect the environment. So this is not about blocking you from doing snapshots when you're uh, uh, when you're running Active Directory. It's about letting Active Directory know you're living in a virtualized world and something crazy has happened. Absolutely. And in fact, if you do roll back a snapshot of a Windows Server 2012 domain controller, and it's running on an underlying hypervisor that supports this concept of what are called virtual machine generation IDs, mm-hmm. Active Directory will detect that change, and it will it will invoke the safeties to to ensure that nothing bad happens to the environment. Yeah, I guess it's just a sort of mindset to say, I don't trust myself because I am in an altered world. So, you know, presume everybody else knows more than me. Yeah, I mean, it's a little more scientific to, than that in that it keeps track of these generational ideas and it only invokes the safeties when it needs to. Right. But as long as you kn- as long as you know that you've been mystically rolled back, then you can go and reach out to the rest of the domain, the controllers, and, and catch yourself back up again. Exactly. Yeah. It, you know, I feel like we don't talk enough about those sort of fundamentals of Active Directory of them just shuffling this fairly flat database around between all of these servers and trying to agree on what's current. Yeah, I mean, the the replication mechanism is something that hasn't changed much since Windows 2000. It's, you know, it's incredibly stable, and it's also reasonably complicated how this multi-master replication engine that, that drives Active Directory works. And that's really, you know, one of the fundamental pieces that these safeties take care of. Just to have that work all the time, plus... We have to keep reminding ourselves that there are still unique roles for various Active Directory servers within a given domain, and you have to know where they are. Yeah, there's still those those five FISMO roles, and you've still got to know where they are. Um, and it's still, you know, one of those, the first questions you ask in an interview, can you name them? And then, you know, tell me two things that each one does. Right. And <laughs> and what happens when, it, when that, the machine that you put the FISMO on has gone away? 
Yeah, and that's a, that's the more kind of challenging and interesting interview question to hear how someone thinks because everybody gives you a different answer. And, you know, one of the answers that I like to look for, especially is for some of these roles, the answer is it just doesn't matter. Like I usually phrase that question as you've been woken up in the middle of the night and you found out that all five of your FISMA roles are gone. You've only got enough time to recover one. Which one is it? And tell me why. Hmm, that's a great question. I don't know that I would get that question right. Uh, I, I think it would be, it's a, it's the, the time sink is going to be the most important one. Yes, yeah, so the PDC emulator is probably the, probably the answer I would go for. But yeah. then there, there's, you know, it could be mitigating factors that there's really another, another one that you would want to bring up. Mm-hmm. Like schema? Well, schema master, the schema master we only care about when we're making schema changes. Right. And we, we don't do that that often, right? So, and even if we're going to, that's a scheduled change. We can wait till tomorrow or even next Monday if it's a weekend, something like that. Yeah, I mean, I would think the same thing. Like, without the PDC emulator, you're good for a day or two, depending on how badly stuff drifts. Yeah, but keep in mind, that, you know, with time sync, the way the hierarchy works is all my all my domain controllers sync with the PDC emulator in their domain. Right. So as long as all my domain controllers aren't drifting, then my clients are still going to be able to to sync time. Yeah, and they and it actually what is it like? You have to be out by ten minutes or so before things get really grumpy. Yeah, plus or minus five minutes by default. And in fact, you know, newer versions of Windows and Active Directory can actually recover from those time skews. Yeah, and it, and you have a certain amount of time once it is out of sync before things get really bad. Like I think it's another month or so before it goes. Everything I know is wrong. I'm I'm just don't believe myself anymore. What about the RID master? What about the RID master? So the RID master hands out those pools of 500 RIDs by default, and it does that, and the domain tour requests that when it's used up half of its pool of 500. Right. So at the high water mark, it has 750, and at the low water mark, it should have 250 on each DC you right. know, for RIDs. And RIDs are those, those unique identifiers that we use to construct SIDs of security principles. So when we create users, groups, and computers, we have to take a RID from the pool and give it that unique identifier to construct its SID. So to the extent that you're not doing massive amounts of account provisioning, whether it's users, groups, or computers, you're not going to run out of RIDs Mm-mm. probably overnight in an entire site. Uh, which one haven't we named? I think we've got three of the five. What's left? The infrastructure master? We've got that infrastructure master, and we've got the domain naming master. Okay. Okay, so that domain naming master, again, that's really only uh, something that we reach out to when we're adding or removing domains in the forest, add or removing application partitions, or we're doing that AD prep, domain prep to upgrade to a new version of right. uh, Active Directory. So again, not something that we, it's really that important. Yeah. And the infrastructure um, master too is one I've just never really cared a lot about. Yeah. The, and the infrastructure master is probably the least understood one of the, uh, of the crop. And interestingly enough, it's even less important potentially now, but the, the only time that we care about the infrastructure master is if in, you're in a multi-domain forest, you've right. got a forest with multiple domains, and all your domain controllers are not global catalogs, and you don't have the Active Directory recycle bin enabled. So you got to set yourself up to, to care about the infrastructure. Doesn't it, it doesn't even run by default for in certain configurations. Like if you put all of the FISMO roles on one machine, isn't the IM not running then? Uh, so the IM doesn't run if... Well, it's not that it's not running so much that it doesn't have any work to do. Right. So the I, the infrastructure master role runs on a batched basis, and over a period of time, usually a couple of days, it's supposed to trawl through a certain set of all the objects in the domain. And if the infrastructure master is on a global catalog, then it's not able to detect uh, the changes that it needs to update. Because fundamentally what the infrastructure master does in a multi-domain forest 
is it makes sure that cross-domain references are up-to-date. Right. So in domain A, if I've got a user that's in a group in domain B, the infrastructure master in domain B is periodically going to make sure that what it calls a phantom, which is just a, it's a little placeholder to keep that user in the group in domain B, it wants to make sure that it um, that it's a, it's still up to date with what's happened in domain A. Sure. But if the domain control is a global catalog, then it already has that that set of updates locally, so it can't it doesn't know if there needs to be a an update. And in fact, once you enable the AD recycle bin, every domain controller takes care of the infrastructure master task locally. When did the recycle bin added? Was it 2008? The recycle bin was 2008 R2. Okay. So it's one of those recent advents that makes things a little more durable, too. Do you believe in GC everywhere? Yeah. So I I typically tell my customers to put the global catalog everywhere, certainly in a a single domain forest. Yeah. There's, There's no extra overhead. And in a multi-domain forest, unless we need to worry about replication costs, you know, when we've got domain controllers in places where bandwidth is really bad, typically I tell them, let's just put the global catalog everywhere. Uh, and, and I said believe for exactly that reason, because there's so many uh, uh, almost philosophical or religious uh, systems around Active Directory. People believe in things about way way to run Active Directory because so much of it is invisible. Yeah, and, and some of it's been ingrained so much over time, you know, both with myths, you know, kind of urban legends, as well as just practices that, you know, people learned in the Windows 2000 era yeah. and have never really evolved as, as requirements and environments have changed. Yeah, we, we carry our baggage with us, don't we? You never admit that the product actually got better and compensated for a problem you once had. Yeah, and, and you know, one of the analogies I use, too, is, you know, it's been... If you deployed Active Directory in 1999 when Windows 2000 came out, it's been 14 years now. Mm-hmm. The people that deployed Active Directory 14 years ago are probably the managers, the directors now. Right. Yeah, you know, so the decision makers, but they're still working out sometimes off that knowledge that's, you know, over a decade out of date. Have you, do you feel like if you've got a domain that was configured from 2000, and I have a few of these now, that there's cruft there's baggage that's been carried in the active directory information itself for some of those early users now 13 years later that's that causes problems um, i wouldn't say that it causes problems but certainly there's things that you can carry along and especially if you don't necessarily have the hygiene so to speak you know like things like deleting computer accounts that aren't uh, aren't in use anymore right you know that, that can grow over time but not necessarily i would think anything that could cause a problem per se mm-hmm yeah, so but it's really interesting to think about how if you had an opportunity to rebuild an Active Directory infrastructure from scratch for an organization, how different that uh, log file, that database would look than it does now having migrated from one version to another for so many years. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's so many things we've learned. And, you know, and even before Active Directory, you know, all these domains and forests that originated as NT4 domains. Yes, they think we were migrated in the first place. And I, and I feel like more people are moving away from the forest model entirely and focusing on, on multi-domain approaches if they need more than one. Yeah, I would say it's, a, it's more about focusing on the, the single domain approach than you know, going to the multi-domain approach. You know, that those requirements we had for that multi-domain approach in the Windows 2000 era, don't, uh, many of them don't apply today or have been mitigated with new product features or mm-hmm. just evolutions in the corporate network. Yeah, Customers with those broad footprints are thinking about how can I consolidate and save costs and and simplify. It's just a lot less chasing things around on it. Well, and it begs the question: Is there something after Active Directory? 
Yeah, it's a valuable question. I think, you know, the the product continues to evolve, and especially as we look at uh, the investments in ADFS in the 2012 R2 wave, where, you know, the product's really starting to evolve into something that we can connect up to the cloud and have this hybrid model. Right. Yeah, which speaks to it's not, it's never going away. It's becoming even more intrinsic and in some ways simpler. Yeah, I mean, it's still, it's such a fundamental part of your network is now you're mastering identities, not just on premise, you know, for the, as you have been for over a decade now, but also for your, your cloud service providers and maybe your business partners. And yeah, we've come a long way from Novell directory services. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but the demands are so much weirder now. It, it's just, we never envisioned this world of wireless everything of super high speed cell networks and devices that people buy and then expect to do work from yeah times are changing and you know we've got a we've got IT has to evolve to meet the demands of the business and the their end users their customers mhm yeah i guess that's that's true and active directory is certainly part of all of that so what's next for you brian where can we find you at what conferences what trouble are you up to uh, what trouble am I up to? You know, I'm not sure I have any conferences left on my uh, my schedule this year. I, uh, you know, I was just down at TechEd a few weeks ago. Yep. But I, you know, I certainly am sure I'll be at TechEd uh, next year, and I'm often at uh, Connections. Oh, of course. And I know I'll be uh, probably in Norway. I've been working the uh, Nordic Information Conference the first couple weeks of uh, January the past few years. So that might actually be my uh, my next one. And are we expecting a sixth edition of Active Directory? Well, you know, the fifth edition just came out a few weeks ago, okay. so I'm, uh, I think I'm still recovering. <laughs> you have some time. <laughs> Brian, it's really fun to talk to you. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. And we'll talk to you next week on Run As Radio. Run As Radio.